Today on the Rotten or Righteous podcast, we ask the question, have you ever seen a PG-rated sponge bath? Hello everyone and welcome back to Rotten or Righteous. It is a podcast where everything's made up and the points don't matter. I'm your host, Zach Geiler, and with me, as always, is my two co-hosts. I don't like to say co-hosts. I, I want us all on equal footing here, but I'm, I get paid more than you. But uh, we, we're here with Scott and, and Luke. And just at the top of this, let's just go through some housekeeping so then we can get into the actual review and the fun of the episode. I really would like to encourage all of you to take time and like and share the posts on Facebook, subscribe and rate the show on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts or iHeartRadio or or SoundCloud, really anywhere that you can get podcasts. Uh, Go on there, find us, and just subscribe. Even if you don't like us and you've only ever listened to this one and you're getting ready to turn it off, just do it out of the goodness of your heart. That's all we need. The more yeah, please, you do people, that, please, people, lie. No, it's not a lie. We just used our imagination. Anyways, uh, just go ahead and subscribe. I really appreciate it. And... Uh, it's up to you, really, to get the word of this show out. We're getting numbers uh, that are higher every single week. Our downloads go up, but without word of mouth, we will just become this stagnant little sad group that gets together on Thursday evenings <coughs> and, and talk and make stupid jokes with each other and record it. And, and nobody wants that. So please, share this. Also, we are coming up to the end of our introductory series where we have been uh, uh, reviewing every episode of The Chosen. We're going to do episode six, so after today's podcast, we just have two more weeks of The Chosen, and I want to give you a heads up of what we're planning on doing. Now, we're going to switch from The Chosen to actual movies, so if you have a faith-based movie out there that you want us to review, please send it in. You can email us at rottenerrighteous at gmail.com or message us on Facebook. But instead of reviewing a movie every single week, which would be just an astronomical amount of work that I don't have the time or the patience to do. We're going to review a new movie every other week. And in between, we're going to do what I'm calling now, for lack of a better terms, Homer Stokes episodes. You want to know why I'm calling them Homer Stokes episodes, Scott? Why are you calling them Homer Stokes episodes, Zach? Because they're shorter and stumpier than regular episodes. <laughs> Here's my question. Can we use a broom in those episodes? We, sure. Uh, you can borrow your wife's if she's home. Um, I didn't mean that, Ellie. I'm sorry. I'm going to cut that out. But really, what home, we're doing... Using the broom. What we're doing is in between the episode or the weeks where we are going to uh, review movies is we're going to have just shorter episodes where we come together. We'll do something fun, watch the preview of the movie, talk about that a little bit, and get you ready for next week. So that's the plan from here on out. I hope that you are enjoying what we're doing so far, and please just be patient with us as we grow right along with you. Hey, the, so scene, the scene where Peter and Andrew come out with, with Matthew, and this just made me love Matthew even more. He knows what he has seen. He can't help right. but deny 
where he can't deny what it is that he's seen, and he's not going to be stopped short of finding out the truth. And he goes on to ask them, was I deceived? Yeah. Is it possible I was deceived? And then I I did like Peter's line there where, uh, why would you believe him if you won't even believe yourself? Believe yourself, yeah. Yeah. That That was really good. I liked that. Uh, the next scene, we have uh, we have Nicodemus walking into the synagogue. Ah, we can just skip that part because that was just a, a quick scene before um, he asks old Shim to read the law, but that's actually in a later scene. Uh, Jesus and his followers are eating at Zeb's, good old Zebedee's. And uh, they ask him what his father did. Now, I do have a problem here. We're going to have Zach's angry moment. Hi there, everyone. Welcome to Zach's angry corner. It's a corner where Zach gets angry. They go. I watched hey, this we- scene. I, was like, I wonder if Zach's going to rage about this. And <laughs> I don't I, know why. That's the way I watch the show now. Will Zach rage about this? And- you, dude, you just wait until we out. get into some of these stupid movies. You just wait and see my rage. My rage is going to be... I'm telling you, God from Exodus is going to come down and be like, hey, can you cool it just a little bit? I know I just opened the ground up and swallowed a whole bunch of people, but calm down. It's okay. Uh, I'm going to end up on Prozac (laughs) from doing this show with you. Yeah, why do you think they call it Prozac? (laughs) That's good. Um, (laughs) it, It makes people see me as in a lot more positive light. Prozac. All right. So anyways, cutting all that out, Jesus and his followers were eating at Zebedee's and uh, they ask about Jesus. Was Jesus his father a fisherman? He goes, no, he's a craftsman. Uh, He's a, he was a carpenter, craftsman, whatever. And then they go, oh, is he still working somewhere? And he's like, no, Joseph's in heaven. Don't like it. I thought that was an okay scene. I like that. Yeah, you did? You did? You liked it? You like people lying about where people go when they die? You just like that? Is that what you like? I'm sorry. I thought you were a portrayer of the, or a, a preacher of the truth, not a preacher of no, making people wrong. feel good. I hate it. I hate it so much. I hate it so much when I hear it all the time. Anytime, oh, Grandma died. Oh, it's okay. She's in heaven. No, she's not. She's not in heaven. She's not in heaven. First of all, your grandma's a Catholic. She's burning in hell. Second of all... <laughs> no 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 joseph i am sure died a faithful man but if the parable of 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 the rich man and lazarus teaches us anything is that we don't go to heaven when we die unless jesus comes back and that's when we leave our physical bodies behind he is in paradise he's in the hadean realm i do i cannot stand it I cannot, it's like nails on chalkboard every time I hear it. Well, at least they're in heaven looking down. One, no. What do you, what do you think, heaven is just surrounds the earth? And so they can look down at us? That's stupid. Two. When if, <laughs> two. When, when, if truth be told, third hell looking up. Exactly. <laughs> it, it's just dumb. Like, the, everybody pictures the earth as just this sandwich in between two spiritual slices of bread. Down below's the the hell slice. Up above's the heaven slice. Which one's wheat bread? Which yeah. one's white bread? It's the wheat and the heel is hell. 
And up above us is a wonderfully delicious King's Hawaiian bun. That is heaven. That's a thing here. Everybody's about those King's Hawaiian stuff. Everybody's about King's Hawaiian everywhere, Luke. They're delicious. I just don't think... It's just bread. Tastes the same as just bread. No, you could put a turd on a King's Hawaiian bun and it would be delicious. Why is it any better? I've tried it. accepted. I need to see you do this. No. I eat pieces of crap like you for breakfast. You eat pieces of crap for breakfast? Sorry. Happy Gilmore moment. This episode of Rotten and Righteous is brought to you by Happy Gilmore. The price is wrong. Um. <laughs> so what, what's that, Eric? Luke, what's your what's your thoughts on that with, with heaven, the idea of paradise? I mean, I picked up on that immediately when he said it. I thought, oh, that's interesting. He's oh, in no, heaven, but right? no, yeah. it's only Zach that's going to rage about this. It's only Zach well, who's going to notice this. <laughs> I'm not gonna Scott's like, oh, listen here, everybody. I picked up on it right away. Okay, but no, I'm, I'm being the one being ostracized for having an opinion here. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I, I understand, but I guess I think most of the time people use that. <laughs> but Luke, are I mean, you not the one? Are you not the one that told me weeks ago? You told me weeks ago, Zach. Zach, you can't take the foreshadowing, you can't take all this stuff too seriously, because you gotta understand, the layman, or the, the, the common man is going to be watching this, and they're not gonna be as studied as you are about the Bible. And I took that to I heart, that. and I've stopped applying that to a lot of things. But I'm gonna go ahead and throw it straight back to you, the common man is going to be watching this show, thinking that we're all just going straight up to heaven. Is it important? I, I don't know, it's in the Bible. I don't know. Is what's in the Bible important, Luke? You tell me. <laughs> <laughs> yes, but I mean, okay. So how could they have, how could they have played that? Right? Like, in my view, if somebody says you're going to heaven, it just means like you're going to the spiritual world, right? You're going to be with God. Now you could sit down and have Jesus like give the parable of the of the, the rich man and Lazarus and explain like the Hadean world. But, like, that would kind of be weird in that scene, no, don't you think? he doesn't like, even need to do that. He doesn't even need to do that. Hey, where's Joseph? Oh, he's in paradise. Fixed it. Okay. I won't argue with you. you You're right. My wife, will you tell my wife that? <laughs> Just tell her what you've nope. learned here today. I did. <laughs> it, it, it did not bother me. Um, yeah, it didn't really bother me either. I noticed, but I, I, uh, I understand your concern. And it's not even that. It's not like I'm, I'm, I'm saying that they're not going to get it. Like this is the most glaring. Honestly, this is the most glaring mistake in an episode that was put together very well. Mm-hmm. And because it is the most glaring mistake in an episode that put that is put together very well, it did jump up to me or jump out at me as something that. Uh, I didn't like. It was one word. Just say paradise. What does Jesus say to the thief on the cross? Today you'll be with me in paradise. Are there, just... any, are there any references in the New Testament where they use heaven instead of paradise? I honestly don't think so. I mean, even when, when Jesus gives um, uh, Peter the keys of the kingdom, what does he say? The gates of Hades will not prevail against it. 
It tells us exactly where Jesus is gone when he died, the Hadean realm. Uh-huh. He didn't go and fight the devil. He didn't go and, and beat up Satan. He went to paradise. Where all good people die, go when they die, waiting for God, or Jesus to come again. And Hades could not hold him. Busted out. He didn't go to heaven when he when he saw Mary in the garden. Do not hold on to me because I've not ascended to my father yet. If he was just back from heaven, he would have saw God. God's not in Hades. God's in heaven. Just like Joseph's not in heaven. Joe the carpenter is in... He's, he's nuzzling up next to Abraham's bosom. Joe the Carpenter, wasn't that like a 2012 guy from Ohio that got involved in the political race for president? Joe, Joe the Plumber. <laughs> Joe the Plumber. Joe. He, he, yeah, he wasn't a carpenter. But anyways, I'm probably going to cut all that out. But <laughs> people come in and ask Jesus questions. And this is when Simon goes from Simon the Student to Simon the Bouncer. Because immediately people are like, hey there, Jesus, all the people from Shabbat come on in and see Jesus. And so uh, Jesus starts talking to him and talking to him and everything's good. And Simon's like, hey, yo, you need to get out of here. My man Jesus over there, he's tired. Better back up. And Jesus is like, Psh, don't worry about that. Yeah, he was he was most on the edge in, in the scenes that we have in, in the show right now where he had the meeting. We need to find a way of escape, particularly if the, if the, uh, the Russians, particularly if the Romans... Uh, <laughs> please get it out, Russians. <laughs> Particularly if that red menace. You know, they're building submarines. They're going to come up through Lake Erie. I saw Red Dawn. Oh. I know what's coming. Wolverine! It may, be, it may be collusion. But yeah, he was, he was, Peter was on edge this entire scene. Well, I mean, in, and I'm talking ex- the, the, the long scene. And he explains why he is at the end there because uh, one of the other chosen are trying to calm him down, just being like, he made you fisher of men. And Peter's like, I don't know what that means, but I do know if we're not fighting the Romans yet, I need to keep him protected until we are. Peter has that misunderstood idea of the Messiah that he's going to lead him into battle. He's going to fight him. And that's not what's happening, but it makes sense that he'd be on edge because in his mind, he's about ready. He's on the precipice of war against the Mm -hmm. Romans. And And he's ready to fight. He needs to stay constantly vigilant and ready. I will say, I can't remember the guy's name, but he was in the Shabbat episode. Uh, him and, and the blind lady come back. Barnaby. And, Barnaby. Yep, Barnaby says one of the funniest lines in the entire episode right here. <laughs> and he, he's leaning through the window to Jesus going, Hey, I heard what you did at the wedding. Can you do that to the water in the well by my house? Good job, Barnaby. That was, that was a good, good one. So I think have... they seem to, oh, go ahead. they seem to be setting up like this uh, this difference between Peter and then some of the other apostles because the other apostles have come and they seem to be like searching for something and they don't like the guy who's the singing guy no matter how, how horrible his singing was he says you know I I don't I don't know what I'm gonna be like I don't really know what I'm doing here Jesus is I'm just gonna learn from Jesus mm-hmm. and then I believe the guy who uh, was building toilets in the last episode was also like that and um, that's like in contrast to Peter 
who like thinks he knows what he's doing there. He thinks he knows like who Jesus has called him to be like this protective warrior guy who's caring for the other apostles. And Jesus kind of confuses him when he tells him to go care about his mother-in-law in the beginning of the episode. And so it seems like all the sponge bath. And then all, all, so all the other apostles are like, you know, I'm here to learn. And Peter's like, I know why I'm here. Yeah. Uh, and they're kind of like trying to break him down on that idea. But I'm here to you know, sponge he never... my Ema and take names, and I'm all out of Emas. <laughs> <laughs> Even in the Gospels, though, it seems like he never really learns that lesson because he's the first one to whip out his sword in the, in the Garden of Gethsemane and chop people's ears off. Yeah, and he gets he gets focused, and we've seen this through the show on one particular way, and there's nothing outside of that box. Uh, uh, you know, even with what he had to do with fishing, it was so focused on I've got to do this, and and he never seems to understand that there's something beyond what he can see, and that's just what he's seeing right now is we're going to fight the Romans, and at some point he's going to get a mighty big surprise. Well, yeah. and 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 part of that I can say is admirable because I I, I feel like. I relate a lot to Peter, especially the Chosen's version of Peter, because whenever he makes his mind up saying this is how something should be done, he throws yeah. him his full self into it. When he thinks mm. he's doing the right thing, he goes 100%, 100 miles an hour, pedal to the metal, and does not stop. But he, you need to be put in the right direction first before that's actually helpful, because right now he's just kind of pushing people away and... And it, and it makes sense. He's trying to protect his general. He's trying to protect, you know, Patton before going up against the, the Germans. He's, he's protecting the man that's supposed to lead him. So, I, I, I again, I really like what they're doing with, with Simon. And uh, I can't wait to yeah. see how this plays out in the next couple episodes. It, it makes sense that it correlates with the, the Peter that we would see in the Gospels. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. We open up, and we're outside of a pawnbroker, and uh, the dude's pretty shysty because people are walking out being all frustrated. And a uh, guy walks in there, and he wants to sell some hammers and chisels, and it's all real nice top-of-the-line stuff. I mean, they're using rich Corinthian leather for the handles. I mean, it's a nice, nice uh, uh, set here. The mallet is carved of maple from Sidon. The chisels are bronze. The trowel is tin from Phoenician ore. My, my. And the guy offers him, uh, what was it, 20 or 40 denarii. I think it might have been 20. 20 denarii, 20 days wages for you non-biblical scholars out there. Now you know. Uh, 20 denarii for this hammer and chisel set. And the dude's like, what? This is rich Corinthian leather. And the guy's like, sorry, bro, take it or leave it. And then he sees a little scab on his arm. You're joking, that's a fraction of what they're worth. Oh. Hey, these sticks. I beg you. Leper, you are mad! You couldn't just die. You had to take us all to hell. We'll forbid him within four cubits. Take it and go. I didn't mean you. Any harm. And he's like, oh, you nasty. You got the leprosies. <laughs> and so... <laughs> and so he kicks the guy out. And everybody's shouting at him for being a leper. So... I imagine 
that this episode is going to have something to do with leprosy. <laughs> okay. <laughs> what are we supposed to do with that? I don't know. <laughs> oh, whatever. I got it. Absolutely. Thank you, Scott. <laughs> All right. So Matthew and his handler, after the opening credits, Matthew and his handler are looking at Simon's catch. They... Uh, got all the money that Simon owed him uh, that that uh, uh, Zebedee sold after the miraculous catch, and it turns out that he had uh, he caught two years and seven weeks worth of taxes that was due that night. So he's out of out of debt, but Gaius is nervous about being in this crowd, and Matthew, being his usual Matthew self, being oblivious to the surroundings, like I don't understand why you're so nervous. We're sitting ducks here, just. You know. Try to, try to look natural. I am natural. I look exactly how I feel. Just try to act like a normal person under normal circumstances. Again, I said normal. Guys. Why are we worrying about all this stuff? And Guys is like, okay, but let's just keep going. And then we switch over to old Nicodemus. And he is uh, picking up where we left off last week. John the Baptist had been arrested. He was sold to the Romans. He was uh, told on by uh, the Pharisees. And that's why he was arrested. And then Nicodemus comes in. He's like, hey, guys, I just talked to John the Baptist. And guess what? He doesn't really pose a threat. (laughs) Though his appearance is unconventional and his teachings ignorant, I've concluded he presents no material threat to Herod or to the public peace. And the people are arguing. Basically, their main argument is the fact that John called them snakes. Shmuel. Shmuel Shmuel. 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 (laughs) Shmuel is upset. He's the Shamu is the leader of the, uh, (laughs) the leader of the, uh, uh, Capernaum Tabernacle, and, and it was Old Shim, as I wrote his name down in my notes, because I'm not going to try to pronounce Shmuel the entire time, because I'm pretty sure I'm going to step on an offensive line at some point. So, Old Shim is like, but you don't understand, Nico. The only reason why I was, why, why I ratted on him, the only reason why I turned him in is because he said that we were like snakes. Said that we were brood of vipers. Brother Shmuel? He who justifies the wicked and he who condemns the righteous are both like an abomination to the Lord. Quoting the Proverbs of Solomon is not an explanation. I will not turn a blind eye to his sins even when all others do. What sins? He called us a brood of vipers. <laughs> he uses coarse language to attract attention. Do you know? And Nicodemus is like, you know what snitches get? Stitches. I mean, he didn't really you know, say I've, that. but I found this thing very interesting, though, because... I, I, I didn't. I didn't buy that Nicodemus didn't feel he was a threat. I think he told them he, that John the Baptizer wasn't a threat because he's still trying to find information. He's still stuck on the miracle that happened and wanting to know exactly how. And to me, old uh, old crazy eyes John uh, just laid it out for Nicodemus in a way he couldn't understand in, in the last episode. And I just, I just didn't buy it. Because he's saying one thing, but I'm looking at that going, is that right? Did you really think Nicodemus saw John as a threat? Because I didn't get that at all. I think that he was trying to sell that John wasn't a threat to the Pharisees. He said that uh, the only that 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 by 
having John locked up by the Romans, it just legitimizes what John was saying. So he's trying, I, I got it as him trying to protect John. Like he knew mm-hmm. John to be the truth, to be the, the, the voice crying in the wilderness, preparing the way for the king. And so he's trying to protect John to keep him out of prison. I think I think Nicodemus was a believer. I didn't really get the whole uh, he's threatened by John in this scene. Now, and I guess I don't. I guess I don't want to say that Nicodemus felt threatened. I just wasn't buying Nicodemus's story when he talked to uh, Av Avbiet Din and Shmuel was there, and I just I, I didn't feel like he was being truthful about that situation. I don't know that he thought he was a threat. But I just wasn't buying that scene. Luke, what, what did you see in that scene? I thought I, I, I bet I, thought I, I, I right. bet like, he saw a bunch of rabbis talking. I bet he did too. No, I didn't see any of that. Oh. Um, so I thought he was <laughs> his, his angle was so he wants to see like the end of John's what John's up to, right? And I think he thinks that if he's in jail, maybe he won't get to see that. And I think he's kind of bluffing. Like, I think you're right, Scott, that you don't buy his story because he's kind of bluffing that they, he does kind of see John as a threat to the Pharisees, but because he uh, kind of wants to see what he's up to and think and thinks he's actually onto something. And he wants to see like this guy who he's leading up to, who he's preparing the way for, he sells them this story that, oh, it's not a big deal and you don't have to worry about him because he kind of wants to see where the, the plot goes. Right, and yeah, I also... I did saw that it was really interesting that um, that while Shim throughout the entire episode is kind of shifting his weight around for being just a Pharisee, Nicodemus is using his position to kind of put Shim in his place. If, at the end of that scene, uh, Shimuel is, is scolded not for uh, uh, disbelieving John, but for going behind Nicodemus's back. It's not like the other Pharisees are like, cool with the fact that this dude's out there saying that they're snake babies but uh uh you know shim is still put in his place because of how respected this great teacher nicodemus is and i think it's kind of cool the way nicodemus was kind of throwing his weight around too but just for the right reasons Mm -hmm. and i like the picture that they're gonna it seems like they're gonna create as far as you know, Shim is his student and Nicodemus has like the respect of all of those people because he's in the the elevated position and he's just expected, Shim is just expected to submit to his teacher. And um, I think it's interesting that Nicodemus, even though people are calling him teacher of teacher for the longest time, people have been buying into what he said just because it's, you know, it's the traditional view. And now Nicodemus is going to step into the role of actually being a teacher in pushing his students to see the new thing, right? To yeah. where all of this has been pointing all along. And that's like the actual role of a teacher, even when that is difficult and hard and against the traditions that you've already known. Absolutely. Yes. <laughs> so then after we're done at the tabernacle with old Shim and Nico, but uh, we're, we're, we're then transported to Jesus and the chosen. Jesus and his followers are walking, uh, into a field, getting ready to, to pitch their tents for the evening. They're getting to know each other. It was right after the wedding. And Simon has a conversation with one of the disciples who let Simon know that he was a member of the Jewish Tabernacle Choir. What'd you do before you met him? I, um, I was on my way to join the 288. The Jerusalem Temple Choir. Yeah. Right, okay. 
Yeah, I was uh, Caesar's favorite gladiator. <laughs> My soul thirsts for you. My flesh longs for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. Hey. Wow. <laughs> I stand corrected. Thank you. It's clear why Jesus asked you to join him. Did you guys think he could sing? No. <laughs> I listened to him and I'm like, what is good? Well, yeah, because I, they, 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 uh, they, they opened that up. No, I have it in big, bold letters circled and underlined seven times. No! Right there. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like he, yeah, he, start, he started singing and I'm going, that is not what I expected. I really Thank expected you. this just good, maybe this baritone voice or this just deep I'm not, voice. And... I'm not turning my chair around. That's all I'm saying. Oh, I'm not yeah. hitting that red button to turn my chair around. <laughs> Can you imagine me going like like someone saying, hey, Zach, what you used to do before becoming a preacher? And I was like, well, I was the, the I was a singing in the choir for the London Philharmonic. Oh, really? You be the judge. Jesus loves me this. I know. <laughs> Boom. Did I just blow your mind right there? I think so. I mean, that's exactly how they played it off. The guy yeah. was average at best. What, what was that called? The, the 399? Is that what it, Do I remember that correctly? The oh, 399? What, what got me was that everybody started clapping, and Peter's like, I stand corrected. Yeah, and everybody's like, oh, man, did you just hear that noise? Did you just hear that song? That was some good singing. Glad he, I know why Jesus picked you. Why? So he would not sing ever again? That's why Jesus picked him? He's like, look, you need a new career. Come follow me. Good golly goober. Hey, guys. This is like the best guy on the set that could sing. And <laughs> they're like, you're the apostle now, even though you're not that great. Uh, hey, you're going to be known for singing. What? Yeah. Oh, yeah. We're going to go to the tabernacle. Woo. Wonderful. Great job. <laughs> I know why you were chosen. <laughs> I don't wonder which I wonder which apostle that will end up being. I mean that wasn't revealed in that scene. No, was, I don't think so. It was Jesus's hidden disciple Lenny. They didn't talk about Lenny. Him. The end of the scene, Jesus sends Peter ahead to Capernaum to take care of something at home. Now, I think Ema. they were trying to imply here that Jesus knew that old Ema wasn't doing too good. And uh, we had our second musical sting of the episode once Peter gets home to Ema. <laughs> we'll talk about that in just a moment. Because before we get into that, we get to talk about our favorite character, Scott. Oh, the living cue ball himself, Quintus. Oh. <laughs> oh. I'm I'm sorry, but first of all, he looks like an egg that grew a body and eyebrows. Yeah. And in typical business fashion, he's like, oh, look at our projections for this quarter. They far exceeded our expectations. And Remarkable. For the first time in a year, quarterly collections will have exceeded Pilot's projections. And 
if the fishermen are no longer fishing on Shabbat. Have an olive, Matthew. You earned it. Thank you, Dominus. Simon the cheat. Simon the fraud. Simon, the guy who delivered when it mattered most. I wonder if there's a way to make him do it again. It wasn't Simon. What if I told him it wasn't enough? He obviously performs well under pressure. And I do have a knack for creating mistakes. Simon wasn't responsible for this, Dominus. Oh, I don't care who he conscripts into his schemes. He's so out of place, he a, and he's so bad. He's a weird guy. He's a weird guy. And he, he's sitting there going, Matthew, good job. Oh, sorry, let me put my Quintus voice on. Matthew, good job. You did great. You exceeded my expectation. You earned an olive. <laughs> <laughs> when he picks the olive up. He earned an olive? Nasty, he's got the nasty little... little tower whatever that he cleans everything with and he leans down reaches down and picks the olive up with it <laughs> first of all while touching all the olives with his handkerchief i know that that's the bonus for watching a man for the past 48 hours non-stop and taking notes you get an olive <laughs> you know what maybe with the romans that was pretty impressive i don't know i to me to me that would be the pits Wow. Yes, it would, Zach. So what'd you think? What'd you think when he called Matthew a rube? You're such a rube. I thought he was a terrible actor. Was he a terrible actor or was he just like no, he's a he's a terrible trying, actor. Trying, <laughs> he's just trying to be he's like he's I, I yeah, okay, I agree. He's trying he's to like, be like overly condescending, but it's like it's just not working. He's yeah. like if yeah. I hate to use this comparison because we use it so much on the show, but truly he's like Toby Maguire trying to play Peter Parker. No, he's just not no, a good not actor. True. That's a bad analysis. That's a spot on. Look, I want my Quintus to be more Tom Holland esque. Good That's actor doesn't look like you're 48 when you're supposed to be playing a high schooler. Did you say, did you say Tom Holland s? Yeah, he did. Matthew, three no, things. No, no, Scott, 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 <laughs> Scott. We're not talking about Tom Holland the. The <laughs> <laughs> Who is Tom Holland? Zach has a crush on Tom Holland. He's the actor who plays. Um, <laughs> I love you, though, Scott. That, but, <laughs> you heard Tom Holland, and you were the only person in the world that's going to listen to this and hear Tom Holland and think homiletics. Got it. I know who Zach's talking about. <laughs> I don't know why he's comparing him to Toby Maguire, but I totally understand who Tom Holland is. Toby Maguire. I didn't know. Tom, I didn't know Tom Holland took a break from writing the work of a preacher's working to sit there and act in the Avengers. That's crazy. <laughs> Quincy's is like, you know, I've got this great idea. Seems like Simon's pretty good at uh, procuring uh, good fourth quarters, if you know what I mean. Maybe I should say going. he owes a a little bit more. And Matthew's like, hey, he didn't do this uh, by himself. It was this guy, this miracle worker. And Quintus is like, pshaw, Matthew. You know I don't believe you. You're a rube. Forgive me, Dominus, if my report was unclear. There was a man. Yes. You're a fine reporter, Matthew, but you're also a bit of a rube. You are just so innocent. You don't know what you saw. 
Olive. <laughs> this is the first episode that. No, it's I not. Have... It's the sixth episode. I know it's the sixth episode, but for me, it's the first episode that I've looked at Matthew and just really, really, really liked his character. Yeah. I, I was partly annoyed with him in the other episodes, but now what he's doing in, in his acting, you can see it in his face, his mannerisms, his conversation. I, and, I'm just, and, I'm, and that's what annoys me so much about Quintus. Matthew yeah. is a fantastic actor, giving us a wonderful uh, uh, character that we can wrap our heads around and root for. And opposite of him, there's literally a polished boulder that has the acting yeah. skills of a potato. Let's finish up this terrible Quintus scene so we can quit talking about it. Um, They're talking a little bit, and then Quintus is interrupted, saying that his brother, Silvius Gamilius is going to be arriving shortly. And Quintus is freaking out because he's like, bro, I've got to impress my bro. And Matthew's like, what do you want me to do about it? In his wonderful Matthew ways. And then he's like, how would you impress your brother? And Matthew's like, show him your blueprints. Show him infrastructure. Show him that true power just doesn't come from conquering an army. Show him your plans for the city. And Quintus is like, I never in the world would have had that idea. Said, really? Really? That'd be like... <laughs> Like, number three on my list to show people. Like, hey, hi, how you doing? I'm the leader of this city. Here's my armies. Over there's my boats. And, oh, here's the plants that we're going to build for this giant palace. Aren't they nice? I, he never thought about showing his brother the blueprints. I don't buy it. I think it's stupid. I think Quintus is stupid, and I do not like the actor that plays him. Quintus is stupid, but he's kind of supposed to be stupid. Yeah, no, he's supposed to be this... The, he's supposed to be the villain. He's supposed to be the threat. The Roman threat is supposed to be embodied in Quintus, and instead we get a hard-boiled egg. Maybe they're maybe they're developing something. They're developing, maybe his brother's going to show up. And you're going to realize why he's such a weirdo. They're developing an ulcer in my stomach. <laughs> is what they're developing. <laughs> I just I do not know how much longer I can look at Quintus before I just. Uh, <laughs> What should I show my brother? Uh, your blueprints? This is a fantastic idea. I'd never had it before. I feel like when you do your imitation of Quintus, it is everybody in the world thrown into one that just irritates you. <laughs> Jesus, in the very next scene, comes across a flower merchant who just happens to be Egyptian. And Jesus just starts speaking native Egyptian to her day for picking flowers. Well, if you like Gilboa iris, lupine, and anemone, I sell them in the market. Is that Egyptian? Yes. I grew up there. My father was from Ethiopia. Shaparnaya makamteanak. Shabuta sashasutne sashrutula. Natiu patanaya ansunu mahatea. Tamar anaki nani otiahuanu. Anaki yeshua nanazrati. Atipuarta. Shalom to you all. Shalom. Shalom. You were speaking Egyptian. I lived there when I was a boy. I don't know whether or not I like this scene or not. I don't Why? really have a problem with it. I mean, he did spend probably... And he only spent a, maybe about a year 
or two in Egypt. Like, and, and he was about two or three when he fled to Egypt. My son right now is two and a half going on three, and he can barely string a few English words together. I can't imagine him spending a year in Egypt right now would be enough for him to become fluent in the Egyptian language. If he had to go to school. He didn't have to go to school. He was two or three. True. See, I kind of felt that scene was more about what Jesus revealed to the disciples uh, after that by letting them know where he let him know that he was down in Egypt during the great slaughter. And why he's talking to this scene. I liked a lot of the background scenes. Um, I liked a lot of the background kind of expository scenes that that Jesus kind of explained his backstory in a very natural way, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think sometimes we forget that as we're studying and we need to be reminded of it when we watch things like this is that, you know, there wasn't a narrator walking around going, and then Jesus withdrew from Capernaum and across the Dead Sea, or that didn't make any sense because the Dead Sea's in the south and Capernaum's <laughs> on Galilee, but... You know, there's not a narrator going around saying everything in Jesus's life. Like this had to have come out in conversation naturally, and it was a natural way. Yeah. I just, I just didn't know whether or not I liked, from a story standpoint, whether or not I, I, I liked the idea of Jesus being bilingual. That didn't make sense to me uh, from the timeline, but it really doesn't matter. We can move on. Very well. Absolutely. During this exchange, Jesus and his followers are confronted by a leper. The same leper from earlier. I told you it was going to come up again. Absolutely. (laughs) And Jesus approaches old Scabby. And the leper knows that Jesus can heal him. He's got faith. And Jesus is willing to heal him. And then I really like the miracle. So far, we've seen three miracles, four miracles. Mary Magdalene's was okay, but it didn't happen in the Bible, so I still... Basically, they're they're batting 500 on miracles, I should say. I almost said I liked all the miracles, but then I remembered Mary Magdalene's where that was not in the Bible. Then the water turning to wine where he sent everybody out. I didn't like that. But the fish, and now this miracle, you know, batting 500. You're not going to send him down to the minor leagues for that. I, yeah, I really good. liked that when he said you're healed, you saw it instantly heal. That was an important thing. That when Jesus says you're healed, it's not going to take a week. He's not saying, here, take this miracle twice a day and then call me in the morning. He is saying, you're healed and you're healed. And it happens instantly. And I also like the fact that it also shows Jesus following the law. He tells him that he immediately has to go down to the synagogue and pay his, his fees and to the priests. He's got to present himself to the priest and cleanse himself for the ritual cleansing and following the law of Moses, which also is very important to understand that Jesus was a Jew living underneath the Jewish law. And I also liked the emotion between the two. Again, we talk about this every week, but Jesus truly showed love to this man. Mm-hmm. And you could see the love and the relief and the hug that these two men shared with each other, and it was just a beautiful moment. Oh, go ahead, Luke. That gets missed when you read the Bible. It's because it's just like you read, oh, he healed him, and it's like that that's all you see. But right. there's obviously more behind it. 
Yeah, I really enjoyed that scene too. The I I enjoyed the whole scene, and I hadn't thought about him being so young down in Egypt to not to not learn the language. But that that makes that makes total sense. It wouldn't have been that way. But when when the leper first approaches, the disciples just they they go nuts. They just kind of flip out, and it's John that pulls a knife, which kind of shocked me. Uh, you know, being John that would have done that, and Jesus Jesus told him to to put it up. And you think of under the old law, what lepers were supposed to do when they were, when they had leprosy, they were supposed to shout unclean, unclean. So you're right. You do see this guy's great faith that he'd heard about um, from, from the wedding feast. If I remember correctly, uh, that word had gotten back to him from there uh, about, about what happened. But uh, what unbelievable fear to come upon somebody that had leprosy in those times. uh, And, and your, your fear of just getting that. It's almost like, you know, should we have today like unclean, unclean, COVID nineteen? <laughs> I heard a bunch of people shouting that down at the courthouse. Did you? <laughs> unclean, unclean, COVID nineteen. Push them back, push them back, way back. Now that was at a football game. Uh, no, and the, the, I did think there that just the uh, cherry on top of the good scene Sunday that they created here was when Jesus turned around to his followers and asked if anyone had an extra tunic. And you see oh, yeah. all of them, all of them immediately start taking their outer tunic off. And he's like, eh, just one will do. It's okay. I get yeah. it. And so, again, we have this idea that these people are totally on board. They're sold. They bought their mm-hmm. tickets to the Jesus show, and they're they're ready to follow him. I like this comment about, uh, oh, he says, you look good in green. Yeah. It's a very like, humanizing uh, you know, kind of thing to throw in there. And there's a lot of little moments in that, especially in his preaching. But we'll get to that in just a minute. We're back in Capernaum, and Zebedee, the father of James and John, is on the roof of his house, and he is using this weird roof well pulley thing uh, to pull up grapes onto his roof to turn them into raisins, and he sees his uh, sons in the distance, and he pulls up the rope one more time, and who's in it? It's Quintus in the basket, offering him an olive. (laughs) (laughs) He said, Zebedee, you're such a rube. He said, Zebedee, <laughs> would you like an olive? <laughs> Zebedee said, no. And he let it go. Quintus fell down real hard. And then he sees his sons off in the distance. He gets all excited to see his see his sons, James and John. Um, and and he he knows Simon. And so he's asking his son if Simon is is behaving. And they're like, you're not even going to recognize Simon. He is he's a completely different person. This guy's teacher's pet. You know, he is... He's he's shaping up to be Jesus's right hand man here, and then uh, Jesus comes up behind him and tells Zebedee and Salome uh, that if it's all right with them, that he's gonna have some people come over, and he's just gonna talk to some people in the house. They're fine with it. They like company. Anything that we need to add to that scene? Well, did you did you? I I love the Salome. Is that how we pronounce her name? I'm gonna Uh, keep calling her Salome. 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 As she could not take her eyes off Jesus, she was absolutely just mesmerized by who by who he was. And I love seeing just the intrigue, the fascination, her, I think, realizing what she had been told from Zebedee about what he saw. And she was just mesmerized. And I got to thinking, and I'll ask you guys, too, has there ever been a time in your life when you saw somebody and you just could not quit looking at them? I'm going to tell you this, and you guys are going to think I'm crazy. 
But last year we went and saw the Oak Ridge Boys. And you know the one Oak Ridge Boys that has the really long, the singer that has the really long white beard? I couldn't take my eyes off this guy. It was just to finally see him in person. It was just mesmerizing. And I thought about that when I saw Salome and how she looked at Jesus. And she was just like stunned with nothing to say. Listen, I've been with Luke in public. He (laughs) has, he's used to it. He's just getting eyeballs up and down the whole time. He basically (laughs) is just friends with me because I look like a troll standing beside him, and it makes him look even more pretty. Like all those pictures of Jesus with a halo behind him, that's what's going on with Luke because I'm Smeagol walking beside him. (laughs) That's why why I keep you around, Zach. (laughs) No, I like that scene too, though. Uh, I, I I was interested to see how they care. Uh, how they created that character because you know we all we villainize her a lot of times because she's the one who comes with her two boys and asks jesus yeah. to um make her sons like the the greatest in the kingdom and uh-huh. it's like and so a lot of times we always have just that negative thought about her because jesus denies it and right so we have that I, one bad thing and i and i tell you what ever since i had a kid i have less my 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 villain meter for her has lowered drastically because I remember yeah. before Joseph was born, me and Kelsey would talk about how uh, we were going to do all these things. Like, screen time was definitely going to be limited. <clears throat> Whatever. That screen is basically <laughs> raising my son. I need it. But uh, <laughs> but one of the things that, that we said was that we wanted to be realistic. And, and you know, not set his expectations too high. Not, not make him too uh, haughty or proud of himself. other day, I was sitting there holding him. And he was cuddling with me, and I was listening to what I was saying, and I had to stop myself because I was like, "Oh, you're like the best little boy in the whole world. I, you're 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 just the wonderfulest, most perfect little thing in the entire world, and no one's gonna be better than you." And I sat there and I was like, "Well, that's the exact opposite of what I planned." But, yeah. but in my eyes, he is that that perfect kid, mm-hmm. and I want the very best for him. And so I totally yeah. see where Salome's coming from. And so I think once you have a kid, that kind of softens a little bit, but. uh the fact that, that yeah, they just paint, paint her as, like, she kind of reminded me of my grandma a little bit. You know, mm-hmm. uh, whenever I bring friends over to my grandma's house, or did in the past, she would be in the kitchen cooking something. I don't know where she got all her food, but she'd just be busy cooking and making sure everybody got what they needed. And that kind of was mm-hmm. Salome. See, and I felt like with Zebedee, where you see the, as a parent wanting wanting his children to be better than the other children, or the... The, you know, the, his his two apostle sons to be better than the other apostle sons. I saw that with Zebedee when he asked, where's Peter? Uh, you know, and they're like, you wouldn't believe it. You wouldn't recognize him. The competition aspect kind of came out, at least I thought, with Zebedee in that scene. Mm. Yeah, but and then again, I don't know. Uh, the show's made me have a more pre- better appreciation of them because they're, they're bringing up things I didn't really think about. Like you have these yeah. two parents that, first of all, was willing to let their kids go. Mm-hmm. I mean, Zebedee's an older guy. He's in his middle age. He's a little younger than Scott, but uh, he, you know, he's an older guy. He's getting up there, and and he's fishing, and he and he relies on his sons. I mean, he's got like Zebedee and Sons Fishing Company, and to lose his two workers is a big deal. Yeah. And so, I mean, it, it really does just portray them in a good light, and I, I I think they deserve that, not just the few bad verses we read about. So, after Zebedee meets James and John, 
we are treated to the second musical number of this episode. My meditation please you as I rejoice in you, my Lord. Praise you, Lord. Praise you, Lord. Praise you, Lord. Forevermore. And Simon is given old. Ema, Eden Zima, sponge bath. <laughs> Not quite a sponge bath. I'm sorry, <laughs> but she was giving him a sponge bath. Have you ever been in the hospital and had a sponge bath? Hey, have you ever watched a PG version of a sponge bath? <laughs> no, but I felt. What do you think? I mean, they weren't going to go full on Passion of the Christ here. You know, it wasn't just going to be Ema sitting there butt naked, he's scrubbing her down. That's not what this show's about. <laughs> He was, he was, she was hot. He was cooling her off, trying to come. Uh, yeah, her. she. Well, if she wanted to cool her off, he needed to quit singing. Sitting there giving her a sponge bath, going, "He's got the whole world in his hand." <laughs> you know, we need to get Megan in on this and ask if that was. Did, did she watch this episode? Luke? Yes. Did I, she I think would, it was a sponge bath? Would say she would not classify it as a sponge bath, from an expert's opinion. Okay, from a PG thirteen. Television show standpoint. No. Listen, he was punching her off. I don't care. We're not. Why are, that, is, that is the most feedback that we have gotten about anything in this show so far was the fact that I said sponge bath. Emma's sponge bath. Good old. That's the name of my autobiography. Emma's sponge bath. I'm pretty sure that that's going to be the title of this episode. Sponge it bath. should be. Emma's, Emma's sponge, sponge bath. bath. Ep- Rotten or Righteous number seven, Ema's sponge bath. Ema's sponge bath. <laughs> you know, it, it it was amazing to me to see Peter's character there, with just showing compassion and love for for uh, uh, Eden's Ema because we remember when she first showed up, he was like, "Oh no, we can't do this right now. There's no way this isn't going to happen." And now he's now given he's, her a sponge bath. Pseudo sponge bath, singing, <laughs> singing singing songs to her. Yeah, I, you know what, Matthew or the guy that was playing Simon should have been the, the member of the Tabernacle Choir. I had no yeah. problem with his voice. It was better than old choir boy out there. That was a touching scene, and I'll ask both you guys. Well, I'll, Zach, I'll ask you. Could you give your Could you give your mother in law a, uh, a not a sponge bath, but if she was sick, could you take a washcloth into her and wipe her head off and in her arm and just try to help comfort her there. Maybe sing, maybe sing a, a, a Bible a song to her or uh, something from the sacred selections. Yes, I totally could do that. I would have no problem with that whatsoever. You're so Christ-like. Because she is my wife's Ema. And if it's important to Kelsey, it's important to me. And I want to be there to help take care of her during her time of need. See, in my um, mind, I'm picturing Kelsey coming in and going, Zach, mom's really sick. And you're going, that's a shame. You know how that turns out. So after the sponge bath, 
and Andrew telling Eden all about their trip, they see Matthew outside. Matthew tells him that he's looking for Jesus, and Simon's, like, on edge this entire episode. Yeah. Like, he is ready to throw down at a moment's notice. And the second that uh, Matthew goes, um, uh, I'm looking I'm, for Jesus, he's like, well, you told Rome about him. And he goes up there like he's about ready to, to, to whip some butt. And then he's like, but Rome didn't believe me. Which, by the way, Matthew, my friend, I, I get it. You're very literal. But here's the thing. Hey, Scott, I just turned you in for something. You didn't do it, but I just turned you in. But don't worry. They didn't believe me. <laughs> We're still friends, man. Are you going to be cool with that? No. That's not That's not a good defense. All right. So, in the next scene, Nicodemus asks Shem to read a prophecy that concerns John the Baptizer. Voice crying in the wilderness, preparing the way for, for the one that comes after. Shemuel then reveals what his biggest problem with John is. And it's not even so much the fact that he called him vipers, but rather it's the fact that he's personifying God. Because John was saying that the one that comes after him is God, is the Messiah, and he's not even fit to tie his his sandals. And I I don't know about that. From what I understand about the Pharisees, I think the biggest problem for him would be the fact that he was being insulted by John. Um, But I I get also what he's saying, because it it plays both ways. One, I think it's more of vanity and pride that that put them on Jesus' radar. I kind of like the fact that uh, he's sticking to his interpretation of the scriptures. He goes through and quotes a whole bunch from Moses about how they weren't able to see the face of God. They weren't able to do this. They weren't able to be do that. Like, God is not a person or have uh, personal traits. And Nicodemus asks, well, what if he does? What if he can? Who's right? Uh, man's interpretation or God's? If God chooses to take on a... a you know, a, a manly form, take on human attributes, then why can't God do that? I don't know. What do you guys think about this scene? I, I really like what Nicodemus was saying in the scene, and I love the part where he talked about putting God in a box. He asked, he asked Shimmy, Shmuel, if, if he would put God back in that box uh, because he didn't see how in his mind God could do that. And that kind of hit home because I thought about how how people today want to put God in a box. It's, it's, we don't understand the magnitude of God. We only can see him through our wisdom and then just learn more about God. And to me, Nicodemus is searching for these answers where uh, Shimmy, the, the Pharisee, he doesn't want to hear it. Wants to hold to the tradition. Nothing can be different. Right. And, and Shimmy, Shimmy Cocoa Puff does kind of, uh, kind of stick to his guns there. A little bit. But then um, Nicodemus says something that I don't know if I like or not. We can do both. Let's look to the ancient roads where the good way is and walk in it, as Jeremiah said, and still keep our eyes open to the startling and the unexpected. Here's my only problem with that phrase is because I, I kind of agree with Shim's side of things with what we're doing as a church. Not so much the traditions, but isn't it our job to worship God the way the old te- or the New Testament rather tells us to worship, and how we are to to cast off the new 
and reject the new yeah. that's against God's word. You see, I, I could see somebody out there listening to Nicodemus's words here and go, okay, so that new church that opened up down the street, maybe that's just a new fun way to uh, worship God and we shouldn't close our eyes to it. Yeah, I, my fear I, is... I think this was dangerous. Oh, I do too, because it wasn't clear. If Nicodemus is talking about the coming Messiah, then it's great insight. But if he's not... Well, That's the slope that we're on. By, by, according to the context, he's clearly talking about the coming Messiah. But what I'm mm -hmm. saying is, looking through the lens of uh, the, the everyday man or woman watching this show, I think there's enough in this show that was good that they start trusting things. And then this line right here, I think it, it's real dangerous for this new age church movement that's coming through. Having, having Being familiar with kind of the Christian scene and what's going on in it across the United States, especially like some of the language that he uses there. in that scene is very similar to those who want to say, well, you can't keep God in. You can't say that God's not going to do anything new right. or that God isn't still speaking. Right. Mm -hmm. So that it's, it's, it sounds very noble, but in a lot of ways it's, it's an attempt to just like discard the scriptures and say, well, God can still speak today. That's been used pretty widely in the L in the whole LGBT uh, movement. But the language was a little bit a little bit loaded there, I guess, because the now the problem with the Jews is not that God is necessarily doing anything new, mm -hmm. because Jesus is the fulfillment of the Old Testament law. So everything about Jesus is is not. It's not a new thing. It's not as if God is coming up with something new. He's fulfilling all of the things that they misunderstood before, but it's right. all there in writing. Right? God's been communicating this. Now they've had a problem with understanding it. I but mean, if, if you, you take the words too loosely and you say, oh, well, God's doing something new, I think it, it I think there was a, a message there, at least they were trying to communicate. I could be wrong, mm -hmm. that today we can have our interpretation of the book, but we also need to be open to all all other kinds of things. And so right. I agree. I was. Yeah. I mean, it's just one of those. There's. That's the first time I've seen that, and it kind of disappoints me that I did see it because, I mean, I've said over and over again how shocked I am uh, that the language that they, that was written into the show is so correct, and so it really kind of caught me off guard when. I mean that that's a dangerous sentence right there, and a lot of people could hear that and uh, and and get the wrong idea. Uh, we're at the end of that scene. It's important. A man walks in to tell Nicodemus that uh, just this common dude is preaching on the east side, and Nicodemus is like, "Okay, let's bounce." So the next scene, we're back at Zeb's house. The crowd's overflowing out of the house. Jesus is teaching, and uh, blind Shula asks about prayer, and I really like what he said there. I I, I don't know if. <laughs> I know what they're doing, all right? I don't think they're going to have a Sermon on the Mount. And if they do, yeah. they already used all their material, just in the <laughs> preachings that he's done leading up to the Sermon on the Mount. But again, everything he says is right. Everything he says is good messages that we should take about giving in humility and praying not for show, but for, uh, you know, for God. And then the, the flower merchant from the beginning of the episodes finds where Jesus is preaching and leads a crowd of people carrying a man on a pallet. Meanwhile, Matthew's tax booth is deserted. Gaius is like, what's up? Where's all the people? And I really love uh, Snippy Matthew. I love Snarky yep. Matthew. Hey, what? How long has it been since you've had a customer? I don't have customers. When was your last citizen? One hour, perhaps two. 
Is there a, a Jewish holiday that I don't know about? There are many you don't know about, Gaius. You know, I think <laughs> I think Gaius is part of the is is part of what makes Matthew's character great. So we all express that we like Matthew's character more and more as the show goes on, but I think a lot of that has to do with with actually Gaius's banter with him. And so yeah. I think he's a great addition. Another man comes up, whispers to Gaius, and uh, Gaius tells Matthew to close the shop. They had to deal with a mob on the east side. Anyways, they got to go take care of this mob. And then Matthew is like, I'm going to go with you. I'm going. And Gaius is like, you're not going. And Matthew's like, don't make me go get Quintus. And Gaius is like, oh, no, we don't want him in this episode again. You're coming. Come along. And so <laughs> they go out to Zebedee's house. Jesus is still teaching. And I really like how Simon turned into, like, Flavor Flav here. He's, like, turning into Jesus' hype man in the in the crowd. He's just going through now. He, he goes from bodyguard to hype man here. And he's like, hey, man, you seen my man Jesus? Oh, Jesus be preaching. This is awesome. Everything's good. Yo, you know who that is? J to the E to the S-U-S. Jesus. And he's, you know, getting everybody all riled up and, and excited to listen. And then the flower merchant's trying to get their paralyzed friend through the crowd. Simon's like, nah, nah, no can do. This crowd's banging. It's huge. Just relax. It's too busy to see Jesus right now. And then Simon spots Gaius and is about to, like, bug out. He's about to get everybody to leave. And Andrew's like, it's all right, bro. I got this. Let me go talk to him. And Andrew's going up. He's like, what's up, guys? Can I help you? We're just having a little get-together here. Everything's fine. And they're like, yeah, we're not buying it. And they just marked right past him. Andrew didn't do anything. And so they're trying to shove through the crowd the Romans are. Meanwhile, the woman that is carrying or helping lead the paralytic is trying to get through the crowd. And then... Man, good old Mary Magdalene comes to the rescue again. What would the story even be? What what would the Gospels be? Would there be a Gospel without Mary Magdalene? I mean, my favorite Gospel is the Gospel of Mary. I mean, I I just don't understand. Every time there's a problem, every time there's a problem that needs fixed, here comes Mary Magdalene Magdalene. marching. Hey, you need to get down through a roof? Better call Mary. Hey, you need to talk to Jesus? Better call Mary. You need to be freaked out because of a demon possession? You should have called Lilith, because now Mary doesn't do that. But it's just... <laughs> it's just... Whatever. We've, we've talked about Mary Magdalene enough. So Mary's going to help him get through uh, the crowds, but she can't figure out how. And then someone goes, what about the roof? And then the only thing that was missing in this scene was light bulbs just going off over their heads. Because they're all like, why do we think of that? Another good scene with Matthew happens here, too, because he's trying to get close enough to hear Jesus, and as he does, the crowd's shoving him and spitting on him. I really like that. He's sitting there after getting spit on, and all of a sudden, a bunch of grapes hit his head. So basically, Matthew gets pelted with grapes. He's like, hey, stop throwing stuff. And who's the ones throwing the grapes, though? Those two little scamps. Two little kids up on the roof. I love that, but it's immediately followed by the stupidest thing in this entire episode. (laughs) Matthew's help up the ladder. No, oh, not, it's not that even that. He writes, He's looking he up at the kids the and he goes, down. he goes, how did you get, get up, up there? there? There's a ladder two inches in front of his face. Two inches in front of his face. What a mystery. <laughs> he is supposed to be the most analytical person in this entire show, but he can't understand how kids got up on the roof when there was a ladder right there. He's analytical, but he lacks like common sense. He yeah, lacks no. like the obviously in front of his face. Literally. Right in front of his face was a ladder. After the ladder that's two inches in front of his face is pointed out to him, he just goes all Howie Mandel on that ladder. He pulls out his little hanky and wipes her down and climbs on up. With the help of Peter. Yeah, Simon. 
Simon comes in and cuts his or cups his rear end a little bit and helps him with the ladder. It's a sweet, tender moment. <laughs> that was so awkward. And then I really like the scene where Simon tries to introduce the kids to Jesus. He's like, hey, kids, you know who's talking in there? And the kid's like, Psh, get out of here, Simon. We're OG. We knew him long before your fish thing ever happened. That was great. <laughs> we saw him when we thought he was dead. We knew Jesus before it was cool. And then uh, Shimmy Shimmy Bang Bang and Nicodemus arrive at Zebedee's house. And they uh, see Mary. And they're amazed that she's restored. Once again, Mary coming through to save the day. They see Mary and they're like, oh, look at her. She's not, you know, Linda Blaring it up in her house anymore. She's restored. She's like a totally different person. And All then right, we, quick question. Yeah. Who is Linda Blair? She's the actress that played the girl in The Exorcist. Okay. What? <sighs> <laughs> I will say that we have, uh, we, we do have a, a Nicodemus question. Not a very, not a very pronounced one. But there was a Nicodemus question that we get to play for our loyal listeners and make fun of. Because Nicodemus looks at Mary Magdalene on the roof and goes, <laughs> So the flower merchant is up on the roof and she says, uh, Hey! Jesus stops. <laughs> I don't remember that part. Oh, the like, flower merchant. Yeah, never mind. She's, she's like, yo, said, hey, yo, yo, heal my friend. And then, uh, although there's already a hole in the roof, it's been established that there's a hole in the roof. The first thing they do to that hole is just tear big chunks out of it. So he wasn't going to fit. No, hold on a second. Hold on a second. I was thinking, okay, they're going to lay him, lay, lower him down in his pallet, like horizontally. They dropped that man in vertically, and he's one Vertical of the skinniest dog. people I've ever seen in my life. There was no reason <laughs> to tear that roof apart. None whatsoever. <laughs> yeah, that was that was the most ridiculous thing I saw in the entire I mean, episode, he, uh, besides he, he, the ladder. He probably could have fit through a hole that was 18 inches by 18 inches. And the hole was a little was bit at of least, room to spare. Listen, this hole was at least uh, at least a cubit and a half. I mean, it was maybe even, maybe even two cubits. <laughs> and it, they didn't need to tear it apart, but they did anyways. And I, in my mind, I'm thinking Zebedee's down below going, "Why? Why? Why'd you do that? I've got to fix out. that later. How am I going to get my raisins up on the roof? roof yeah, they did. And I know yeah. that's why they did it is because it said that they took the roof apart. But the point is, if you're going to do that, make it a really small hole. I mean, you built the sets. Why? <laughs> Why did you make the whole giant and then just have people just Maybe rip they it up? That house. They filmed the whole thing in Texas. I found that out over last week. In Waco. Yeah, in Waco. That's why there's and so they, many Christians. In Texas. They they filmed it yeah. in two places: Waco and Jonestown. They filmed all the synagogue scenes in Jonestown in South America, and then they flew back to Waco. <laughs> No, there's a little tourist, there's a, a recreation of Cap ancient Capernaum somewhere in Texas, and it's like a tourist attraction, and they filmed it all there. What? Yeah, true story. Hey, road trip, on our way uh, back yeah. from Guam, we're going to Texas. <laughs> we, we can do a uh, video podcast there, and we can reenact all the scenes. You know, and here's the great idea, Zach. We can see if we can fit you down the hole in the roof. No, you can't. I'm a fat, fat man. Exactly, which is why we're going to have to tear more boards away. <laughs> They're just tearing apart the roof for no reason. Matthew, meanwhile, is popping grapes in his mouth like he's watching the Avengers. 
He's just going to town yeah, he, on those grapes. He he went he went from no grapes to you're right, just shoveling them in. Everybody's shouting because they want to see Jesus heal this paralytic. Uh, and Shim has enough of these people when he pushes himself to the front of the crowd. And uh, Simon's up top with Matthew now going, hey, look, take some notes. Maybe you'll learn something. Pull out that little tablet of yours. Pay attention. He pulls out an iPad and starts taking notes. And then uh, I, I, this that is something happened that annoys me here. Because after he, Simon gets done telling Matthew to take notes, he looks out to Mary and asks her a question. He goes, hey, Mary, can you believe this? And Mary says, yes. Anybody ever really here for this? Yes. <laughs> yeah, that the, the show could have missed that conversation, the, the rooftop, the rooftop communication. Hey, Scott, ask me if I believe, let, let me, ask me if I believe something and tell me if this just flows naturally for you. Zach, can you believe this? Yes. <laughs> what an unsatisfying answer right there. You could say, oh, <laughs> can you believe this? Oh, I know. I know this is awesome. But no, Mary's like, listen, man, I am the star of this show. All right? No. I'm, Mary, I'm, I'm Mary Mags. They don't call me Maglite for nothing. They keep pushing this narrative that like Mary's like on the inside and all the apostles are on the outside. She's yeah, like, don't she's understand. Like, me, me and JC had a conversation beforehand. I know exactly what's <laughs> happening. It's so... Anyways, after that horrible interaction, Shim goes up to the window, demands by whose authority Jesus is teaching, and Jesus straight up ignores him. I love that. He just keeps yeah. on teaching. <laughs> and and, and old, old Shim, he's getting even more agitated. And then the woman is telling Jesus how much she believes in him, and Jesus goes, your faith is beautiful. I love that moment, too. That that yeah. moment where you're, the camera's looking down on Jesus, and, and you just see that moment of, oh, that, that gave me chills. I'm sorry. I was just going to say I don't know what else they'll do in the show, but we see other, other, um, other times in the Bible where people come to Jesus because of their faith. And it's one of the things that always stands out to me when when they come, just knowing that Jesus can take care of them, heal them, change them, uh, whatever whatever needs to be done. And you're right; that moment gave me chills as well uh, because it is it is beautiful. Yeah, I mean, I, I have no problem with the way Jesus has acted. Mm-hmm. And the way he responds, the way he's talking to people. Like, there was that one scene in, uh, uh, at the beginning where he's preaching, and he goes, everyone in here is is righteous, right? Sometimes, yeah. every once in a while, you know, like joking around with them, you know? And, and, and it just he's so personable, the guy that's playing him. Mm-hmm. And and yeah. I really like Jesus and the way he's uh, reacting to some of these. And then I really like the scene, too, where... Um, he turns to the paralytic and says, your sins is forgiven. And then he immediately turns to Shim. Yeah. And just like a boss, just starts reciting what Shim's thinking. You know, like, who can forgive sins but God alone, right? Who is this that speaks blasphemies? And we read that in the text, you know, and the Pharisees thought within themselves. And you would still think Mm -hmm. that the way you portray that would be like the Pharisees mumbling under their breaths. This is blasphemous, whatever. But to have Jesus be like, I know what you're thinking. And that's right. He does. But that was so powerful the way uh, the director decided to do that. Yeah, I like that. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. And and I also like that right before Jesus does uh, the miracle, you can see that he has fear in his eyes. Just a little bit there. It like pauses on his face. Yeah, as he's like thinking about what he's about ready to do. Because up until now, he's kept his miracles kind of private. But this was going to be the first public, in the face of the Pharisees, type of miracle. 
And he does have a little bit of a look of, of anxiety on his face. Because he knows the snowball that this is going to create. But Yeah, it's no longer going to be just a few. That there's a large crowd that's gathered and it's going to spread. I mean, even with that, the, he's even about with the leopard. He's about ready to throw himself violently on the Pharisees' radar. You know, Jesus was wanting just to keep that quiet, but now there's the no flower way. lady just had to ruin it. Yeah. Speaking <laughs> Egyptian. And did Jesus... you notice though? She really didn't walk like an Egyptian. He turns to the paralytic and says, what's easier to say? Your sins are forgiven or rise up and walk. It's easy to say anything, but so you know that I have the authority to forgive sins. Mr. Paralyzed Man, get up, walk, pick your pallet up, and go home. And then again, but we have another foot scene here. Well, there he goes, <laughs> moves a toe. So Jesus heals the man. The paralytic immediately wiggles a toe. He stands up. People start cheering like the Minnesota miracle just happened. I mean, you might as well have just seen a Hail Mary pass that just worked out at the end of the Super Bowl for the way the people were acting. And, and I get it. I mean, I'd probably cheer too if I just saw some dude that couldn't walk. I, I don't know. I'd probably just sit there with my mouth open. And, uh, well, the Pharisees kind of did that. They're all just kind of dumbstruck. The paralytic man just walks out of the house. But then Shem snaps out of it real quick. And he's like, yo, guards. This dude in here is threatening the peace. I'm interested to see which way Shim will go. If he goes to this teacher, if he goes to the dark side. Dude, I'm I telling you, by next season. Oh, uh, but then I just need to make one quick comment. As the, as the paralytic is walking past Nicodemus, I know that we, there's no way to show you guys his face other than watching it. But he straight up looks like Kermit the Frog. <laughs> for like... <laughs> For like a 30 second like frame he is smiling showing no teeth but his mouth is not closed like he does look straight like a muppet and while the romans are banging on the door mary or because zebedee locked his door okay so now we're all caught up zebedee locked his door jesus and the the chosen ran away but nicodemus stops mary in the alley to talk about the miracle and Mary's like, I don't want to talk to you because your people just tried to have him arrested. And now you want to talk to me? And Nicky's like, or Nicodemus is like, no, you don't understand. I'm different than my friends. I'm not like them. Mary's like, you dress like them. It's like, Psh, I'm just trying to fit in, Mary. I'm not giving into this peer pressure. I'm Nicodemus. I'm a changed man. You can call me Demo. That's what my friends call me. My wife calls me Nico. <laughs> oh, my He's like, look, I just want to talk to him. I'll meet him under the cover at night. He just really wants to talk to Jesus. And this makes sense. Uh, this is a good backstory to why Nicodemus was coming to Jesus in John 3 at the cover of night. He's trying to stay away from his, his fellow Pharisees. Uh, he wanted to find the truth. And also he wanted to protect Jesus. I never thought about it from that standpoint until now. That mm -hmm. it very well could have been he was trying to protect Jesus from uh, unwanted... Uh, Didn't want him locked up like John. Right. Not like he, creepy he, John. And if you think too, if he'd have went to the temple, they he, Nicodemus, it's the only way he can get the answers that he wants to get is to meet with Jesus alone. Because any kind of crowd, any kind of audience, it's going to turn chaotic. No, that's Mary's job. No, I know Mary is Jesus's liaison officer. Mary is Jesus's uh, publicity team. 
She handles all of Jesus's public and private meetings. If you want to see Jesus, go to Mary Mags. I did like the scene where Matthew is... He found out that he could leave the roof the same way he came up with the ladder. But the kids are like, Matthew, are you lost? Because Matthew does look kind of lost. And Matthew goes like, yeah, I, I am. I like that. It's pretty sweet. Yeah, I did, I did too. And it's it's... That's far more than not knowing where he's at right now. He's He is struggling with trying to figure out what he saw because for him, everything has to make sense. All the dots have to connect. Things have to be logical. This isn't logical, what he's seen. And he's struggling right now. I like how, they, how you have a lot of people who are in like every facet of society. So you've got... Um... You've got Nicodemus, who's lost, who's a Pharisee. You've got Matthew, who's lost, who's a tax collector and a traitor to the Jews. And then you've got all the apostles who are walking around there like, I don't know what I'm doing either. I'm just waiting for Jesus to tell me. Then that sweet moment between Matthew and the kids was almost immediately just swept under the rug because the guards finally make it into Zebedee's house, only to find that Jesus left through the back door. The only thing that was missing in this scene was a sad trombone. I promise you it just felt like every single sitcom i have ever seen where there was a chase just they finally get in and then the back doors open and not only that but you saw that the door opened right out into the alley all they had to do was look at the corner <laughs> just around yeah. the corner they would have seen them that was it yeah just, that wasn't a very good scene but and so matthew is walking through an alley and he sees jesus and jesus walks away in slow motion did you guys imagine being here on Earth and looking into the eyes of Jesus? No. Due to some unforeseen issues, only my voice was recorded during the final wrap of this show when we give our ratings. For some reason, Scott and Luke's audio was not picked up. So, uh, instead of just listening to a one-sided conversation that would get really confusing, let me just summarize what we talked about as far as this episode is concerned. Uh, despite the, the faults that we have saw in it, and there were quite a few of them, ultimately, uh, the episode was fairly good, and it got an average score of Righteous and an 8.3. Hopefully, we'll be able to give you a more in-depth uh, 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 summary, an in-depth rating at the end of next week's episode, and we don't have any of these problems. So, I apologize again, and thank you guys so much for tuning in. Please tell your friends about this show and uh, get the word out. And I hope you're enjoying it, and we'll talk to you soon. I'm telling you, uh, Dallas Jenkins watched the entire filmography of Tarantino and then just used it over and over and over again throughout this show. I've never seen those shows because my eyes are pure. Then why do you have conjunctivitis? (laughs) 